he watches Bella sleep and he's completely inappropriate in every way with her, for her, towards her. But it's wonderful. Hello and welcome to the Waterstones podcast. I'm Will Rycroft and in this episode it's time to get confessional and to share your guilty pleasures. With the recent announcement that Stephanie Mayer's retelling of the Twilight Saga from Edward Cullen's perspective will finally be published in August, there has been some ravenous excitement around the original books and perhaps even a reappraisal of their value. Should one feel guilty about enjoying them so much and indeed should one feel guilty about reading anything at all? To help answer those questions, I spoke to a former Waterstones Children's Book Prize winner, Kieran Millwood Hargrave, who has written for both children, teens and most recently adults with The Mercies, and by Booker Prize nominee Daisy Johnson, who has made an early name for herself with both short stories and her novel Everything Under. Lockdown has allowed these near neighbours to create a book club amongst their friends, and things have got very intense recently, with the Twilight Saga turning them all. Daisy and Kieran, thank you for joining me uh, on the podcast. First of all, how are you both? Daisy, I should ask you first. Yeah, I'm pretty good, actually, considering um, enjoying the weather. And um, yeah, it's nice that lockdown is um, lessened enough that, uh, yeah, as Kieran said, we can now at least sit in a field sort of um, quite far away from each other, um, which has made quite a big difference, I think. <laughs> we should say we're recording this on the hottest day that it has been for some time so exactly the wrong day to be recording a podcast on so I will try not to keep you for too long um, and Kieran you sound like you're as was just mentioned there you're managing to meet up with Daisy keeping your respectful and safe distance from each other in a field yeah. it's nice it's nice to have it eased slightly, isn't it? Exactly. Like We're very lucky in Oxford, I think, to have access to green spaces. Um, we've both got gardens and we've been meeting in a field that's basically exactly halfway between our houses, um, just across the bridge from each other. So that's definitely made things easier. Absolutely perfect. So we're going to be talking today about this idea of guilty pleasures. People often talk about with reading, that there are certain types of books that you're sort of not supposed to like, but that secretly that's what you go off and read uh, when nobody's looking. And I'm not sure whether this is how I read at all, but I, I have a real problem with this whole idea of feeling guilty about reading anything, frankly, because even if it's trash, it's better than reading nothing, I think. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, but I don't know if you're maybe if we're maybe the minority about thinking um like that I do think that um people have books in sort of grades and reading you know a classic um is often considered better than reading some contemporary books I definitely maybe. rail against any sort of hierarchy um it's something that I really encountered when I was solely writing children's books that there's this um hierarchy of of what's worthy of either praise or attention um, or readers um, reading it and definitely there were a few people who would say things like when are you going to write a proper book and things like that so <laughs> yeah I'm very much um, of the view that of course there are books that might have um, certain limitations but they if they hold interest for readers I do think that they should be considered valid, valid and we should sort of fight against this idea of a hierarchy. I think it's, it can be really tricky, I think, particularly with children. So when parents are deciding what books their children should or could read, the, if there's any snobbery there or this idea, oh, no, you shouldn't read that kind of book, you know, I, I should get you over here reading this kind of book, it, it, it might just sort of stunt a child's ability to read or indeed their love of reading if they feel like that there are sort of good books, bad books, things they should or shouldn't touch. When in fact, we should be really sort of saying to them, 
look, there's a shelf of books. You pick up what you want. You know, you decide what it is you like to read. But it's it's quite a tricky area, isn't it, to get right? Yeah, and I do wonder if um, in isolation this is changing a little because I think our expectations for ourselves are lowered. Um, so as you said, if you can read any book at the moment, um, that's impressive. Um, and I think that is maybe the same for children. I know when my partner was a child, he um, hated reading, partic- uh, particularly because he was given these books um and he didn't like any of them and they kept giving them to him and I think he eventually you know found books such as the Willard Price books um and really enjoyed those ones yeah my husband's the same he's he was obsessed with Willard Price and he actually did a dramatic reading for me the other day I'd never (laughs) encountered them and oh my goodness okay yeah (laughs) But, but you know it's great that they were sort of an entryway into him and obviously Daisy's partner reading you know ultimately that's what we all want as people working in the book industry in any way is we want to create readers and certainly if you get people from a young age however you get them that is a very good thing I mean I I've been working with books for years now but when I was a kid I hardly read at all and in fact the books that got me into reading were those um choose your own adventure books you know where you sort of yeah, oh my God. I mean, because this is before computer games were really a thing, but they, they were almost the precursor for that idea of interactive entertainment where, you know, you make a decision about what your character does and then you turn to a different page and you're flipping through the page. I used to love those. And I think the only, the first sort of proper adult books I read were things, I remember reading James Herbert's The Rats and that kind of horror genre of books and feeling so transgressive because I was a <laughs> I don't know, I was probably a teenage boy and I couldn't believe there was all this sort of sex and violence yeah. that I was able to, to read about. But actually it led me on to to reading proper adult novels and, and then finally finding that love of reading, which didn't come until I was in my late teens, sort of early 20s. Um, it doesn't really, as I say, I think it doesn't really matter what you read as long as you find something that fosters that love of reading because then as you grow older, you'll, you'll sort of develop your taste and you know there's so so much out there it seems silly to cut some of it off I I want to talk if we can about a particular book which has become very important to you both because of lockdown Kieran could you maybe tell us what you've you've been reading it for the first time but it has rather taken over things yes so um at the beginning of lockdown we were casting around for ways to stay you know connected and have new things to talk about because I'm sure everyone's had at the moment basically all there is to talk about is coronavirus because we're not doing anything so um (laughs) we wanted ways to to keep like um to sort of do things together even at a distance so we started uh, a horror film night and then I mentioned idly that I'd never read the Twilight books and this was met with such shock and excitement (laughs) Um, by Daisy and a couple of our other friends who we've been doing the read along with and so um, we all downloaded the audiobook and we've sort of been listening in parallel and then watching the films and having a little gleeful whatsapp exchange at the end of each book. And and Daisy, you, had you read the Twilight books previously or are you a newbie too? Yeah, so I'd read them when I was a teenager, I think, um, when they first came out. Um, when I was reading a lot um, and, you know, was studying English and was going to go to university to study English, but um, picked them up and really loved them. Um, and kind of remember at the time other friends um, talking about them and kind of saying how they would never read them, you know, they weren't very good, they were written by... Um, this particular person and there were reasons why we shouldn't read them Um, but I had that very sort of teenage glee um, at reading about this very intense relationship Um, and you know it's they're very sexy books um, 
which I think at the time was, you know, did feel quite transgressive. And then reading them again now, there's definitely that same feel. You have that sort of gleeful, um, slightly naughty feel reading them, which is, I think, perfect for um, lockdown. And I think we've both been listening to them on audio, um, which is even better because you can kind of do other things while you're listening. Yeah. You can prepare your evening meal whilst yeah. having <laughs> being regaled. It's great. Um, I um, actually didn't read them for the exact reasons that Daisy just talked about. I was actually, so at the time I was dating this guy who was very into books um, and loved um, particularly male authors, it has to be said, like um, Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams, who are absolutely fantastic, but he liked them to the exclusion of basically all female writers um and certainly ones that were specifically aimed at teenage girls um which the twilight series was and so i kind of got caught up in his way of looking at things and it i'm i have to say i'm i'm really interested to hear daisy's reaction um reading them when she was a teenager because you know as a 30 year old now I can see all the really problematic stuff and kind of ignore it because I know that that's not going to feed into my thinking but did you find that it reading about this really intense relationship did that influence your own relationships or were you able to detach and know that this was fiction yeah I think it probably did influence um not only sort of my own relationships with um people I was dating but kind of my relationships with friends because um Bella and Twilight does have this very sort of strange relationship with the other women that she spends time with Mm. um but but at the same time I was kind of um especially to when the later books came out and the film started coming out I was reading it um alongside a lot of other women so although there was that really problematic sense which um I do struggle sometimes reading them now but there was also a feel of kind of community you know it felt like there had been a book written about the things we were feeling um which I think when you're a teenage girl doesn't always feel like there is something yeah, like definitely. that that's really really interesting and as you said that's the difference between reading the book as a teenager and then reading it as an adult my, my wife read them when she was pregnant and so she had a whole sort of different reaction to the book's as a pregnant woman because she said there's that bit where Bella is pregnant and is basically she needs blood and she was like yep I can totally relate to that (laughs) this sort of idea of this hunger that that was sort of happening that was going through her body um at the time was something that she could totally relate to even though of course it's so different to sort of you know in in literal terms to her experience but you know it's interesting that she found something completely different from those books because of her own experience there seems to be a depth to them that again as you say at the time that they were published People were sort of talking about them like are there these sort of slightly sinister books which are there to basically stop teenage girls having sex by making it sound scary and terrifying, um, like it was some kind of born-again Christian thing over in the States. I think that Stephanie Mayer has talked about them being, you know, kind of a parable for abstinence, but they have totally the opposite effect. <laughs> <laughs> it was so sexy, like the the yearning and the... And, it, you know, it is problematic, this kind of obsession that... That Edward has and he watches Bella sleep and and it he's completely inappropriate in every way with her for her towards her but it's wonderful like to read as well as escapism <laughs> and it's you really you allow yourself to fall into that that fiction of the book and it's really interesting for me hearing like Daisy saying about you know how it affects her relationship with female friends because yeah she treats her friends so badly <laughs> 
badly. <laughs> so dismissive and they're just all sort of extra characters, you know, around the main plot of her life, which obviously is part of the restriction of writing a book, but you really just get the sense she's so self-assessed. And I guess that is quite how you feel as a teenager, like you're very much seeing the world through your keyhole and and there's not much else. You've kind of got this tunnel vision about the things you care about. Mm. And I think it's also quite... Um... It felt quite problematic at the time, the amount of criticism that was given towards the books, because it just wasn't the criticism that was given towards any of the books um, written by men, you know, the books that Karen said she was reading, um, which are equally problematic in their representations of relationships and their representations of what women should give to relationships. But it was very focused on um, this book by a woman, you know, narrated by a woman, um, which I think is a really is a bit. uh, Yeah, it's complicated. It's definitely complicated. I mean, because we have this a lot, again, this sort of, we've spoken a bit about the snobbery that surrounds reading. But as you say, also this policing of who gets to talk about things and also how men and women writers are treated completely differently. We Think of something like Fifty Shades of Grey, of course, another series of books which was sort of spoken about in a certain kind of way. But again, about a woman and a relationship, her perspective on that, written by a woman. And I think a lot of that criticism, again, coming from people who were scared of these suddenly empowered women having something to say about sexual desire, Mm -hmm. about relationships and about changing the way that we look at those things. Does that seem fair? I mean, I don't like Fifty Shades of Grey and I did read it um, sort of with quite an open mind. And I, I did find that interestingly in a way that I don't find Twilight kind of through a male gaze um like Mm -hmm. the the you know women's desires very much being secondary to the men but again you can't deny the effect that it had and it did open so many women up to eroticism as a genre but yeah it is definitely interesting when you look at the writing um of I'm going right back to because uh, I'm thinking of boys at university I would have been at university when 50 shades came out and it you know they were reading things like the earl of rochester and um and the marquis de sade and that was really literary you know acceptable smart and then 50 shades <laughs> came along a lot tamer a lot less violent than those things and just none of the scrutiny no one would write Mm. you know a phd on on um on 50 shades and be taken as seriously as they would if they were writing on the earl of rochester or the marquis de sade so there is definitely that that double standard um and yeah as daisy said it's very problematic and very complicated yeah and i think there has to be like these are the books that millions of people around the world are reading um you know my grandmother turned up to sunday lunch one day and was like oh, i'm reading this book in my book club it's like gray something um no. <laughs> you know and she was maybe i think you know 65 70 at the time and all of her friends were reading it and they were passing it around among themselves um and she reads a lot but she was reading this book with people who don't read a lot um and this is the one book that got them all talking um so it is really problematic but what is it about these books that mean they're the ones we're all reading rather than something else. I, I think that's the sort of million dollar question, isn't it? it? That book seemed to come out of nowhere and the fervour around it seemed very surprising at the time. And I'm not sure, it'd be really, I'm sure somebody has written a PhD about it and that sort of idea about why that book became so popular at that time. Um, and indeed why any book 
they, we have these moments, these little books that come along and seem to capture something in the zeitgeist or something that seems to need to come to the surface. And it varies from year to year. It's so different, whether it's Gone Girl or Ellen Oliphant or Normal People all right now. Sort of, you know, yeah. All by, well, yeah, isn't this interesting? Yeah, All by Women and, and saying something, uh, this of course is probably related to the fact that w- women buy more books and women read more books than men do. Um, and so they're finally maybe getting a chance to share what they're reading and what they actually feel about it because there are more forums for people to talk about these things than there were in the past, rather than the sort of, as you said, that kind of university-based curriculum of reading that has been well established for many years and all those male writers that we're well used to hearing about I mean of course you're both writers yourselves and I wonder whether how you feel about how that conversation is changing with women writers coming more to the fore perhaps does it feel like that to you as women so I think it is undeniably changing when you look at it in pure figurative terms um a lot more women are being published We have um, prizes like the Women's Prize that are seeking to level up the balance. But, you know, there is still a necessity for things like the Women's Prize. And when you look at what's reviewed critically in the broadsheets or in um, reputable literary magazines, the I think it's the VEDA census that that charts all the percentages. And, you know, there is still a huge bias towards men, which is extraordinary to me because Mm. I read basically all women and that's not you know in some (laughs) one-handed sort of one woman attempt to write the balance it's just because women tend to be writing the books I want to read Um, so there is still a way to go of course there's progress and it's progress in the right direction but there is still a way to go and we are still being invited to talk on panels titled Writing Strong Female Characters. <laughs> I cannot wait for the day when that just dies a death as a phrase and we just can, can go and talk about being writers. And, you know, I've really enjoyed in this conversation so far how you've said male writers and female writers as opposed to women writers and just writers. Mm. And that is still a balance that needs to be addressed where we can just be seen as writers, and we can just write characters. Um, But obviously, that said, Daisy and I, you can see in our books, we're both interested in experiences that are unique to women, and how they affect the way you move and see see the world. So, you know, we're not seeking to, to cut out those differences, we're we're still celebrating um, women. But I think, you know, the day when the day comes that we can stop being spokespersons for women writers and just be writers that will be very welcome indeed and how about you daisy um yeah i would agree with all of that i think um i i do feel and i don't know whether this is just because um you know this is kind of the time kieran and i've been writing but i do feel like there's a lot um of women writing at the moment and i suppose more importantly um yeah women kind of um winning prizes or being talked about um, and that is really exciting, but I definitely agree um, with Kieran that it sometimes gets frustrating when the only thing about you that's spoken about is the fact that you're a woman um, and that you are kind of um, a placard for something. Um, and Sarah Hall has this um, had this really good line in an interview where she was asked, um, why do you keep writing women characters? And she said, well, I'll stop writing women characters when you stop asking that question. 
Um, <laughs> and I do think that people get pulled up on, you know, why aren't you writing male characters? Um, well, you did. I remember in Fen there was an interview or something where someone said, why haven't you written any stories from the point of view of a man? Yeah, and that was kind of the whole point of the short story collection, <laughs> but it, it was it was taken quite personally by quite a few um not just men, but by people who felt like by not writing from um, a male point of view, I was making um, a kind of negative point, uh, which was really interesting to encounter that sort of um, aggression. It is extraordinary. I think it's what's been interesting is just recently there have been a lot of female writers coming through writing short stories, actually, uh, quite often, where there is a chance to speak about the experience of being a woman, particularly from woman from the point of view of a woman's body talking about women's physicality talking about sexuality talking about the changes that go through a woman's body in her life and a lot of men a lot of male readers have found that quite hard to deal with like no 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 I prefer it when I'm reading Philip Roth and there's a woman and she has marvelous breasts and we're just talking about having sex with her because that that has been the sort of the kind of writing that people have been used to reading for for decades it seems whereas this sort of a new generation of women who have got the confidence to write about their actual experience and to put it on the page has produced I think some of the most exciting writing of the last five or ten years for all readers I would say not just for female readers for, for male readers too if they can just stop being so offended by it or scared or whatever it is that they're worried I, about because sorry. it's no, no I just because it's just sort of it's quite odd even with somebody like I mean I'm a big fan of Philip Roth because that's one of the writers that I grew up reading but I do remember giving a copy of one of his books I think it was American Pastoral to a friend of mine and obviously that book is a, a masterpiece in lots of ways but the only bit that my friend could really remember is there's a kind of phone sex conversation that happens on the, on the bottom of the page for about you know several pages of the book basically and he was like yeah that bit was great <laughs> that's the only bit he could remember this kind of slightly dodgy phone sex conversation and it's yeah it's sort of nice to see a very different approach to physicality sexuality passion sex and all the rest of it um uh, and it's coming from female writers not not from men at the moment I think I think it's a question of empathy like as as women we've we um we've grown up reading books that are I like certainly when I think of my favorite books as a child quite I'd say over half of them were by men um, and and mm. we're used to making that imaginative leap into a male body um, and sort of inhabiting that male gaze and maybe that's why we're we're such good and voracious readers and maybe that's why men find it more challenging because they've just not had to make that imaginative leap they just they can't they need their books to reflect them and their experiences. And actually, as soon as you let go of that, there's this whole wealth of literature opens up to you and you can you can travel through anything. So I think really it's it's win-win the more that that literature by and from the perspective of women gets normalized, you know, that's positive all round. Yeah, I think that's true. And I also think that um Maybe what's happening is that, you know, there have always been women writing and kind of writing about um, the body from their own point of view. But they've always been sort of um, put in these boxes, yeah. um, you know, called kind of domestic writers or kind of kitchen sink writers. Um, uh, I've been reading Shirley Jackson's biography um, and it talks about this a lot, about how she 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 was doing these things a really long time ago. But she was often um, particularly by reviewers. Um, put to one side um very separate from the men um 
And I think that women are now, we're still, you know, we're still writing about um, domestic things. Um, you know, in, in Karen's book, The Mercies, there's a lot about bread making and making fires. Um, but we're also writing about, I guess, themes which are perhaps thought of as more masculine, you know, adventure stories or, yeah, I'm not sure what my point is there, but. Fairly <laughs> Jackson was like pushed into genre and like, like kind mm-hmm. of pulpy genre that was kind of her box and you know I'm sitting here with Daphne DeMaria's Rebecca next to me and it's the same you know your Daisy's completely right like these stories have actually always been written they've just been pushed to the edges and put in these boxes of genre and therefore discounted as being important and maybe cons- considered only as sort of guilty pleasures you know what we're talking about they they weren't proper books um when actually of course they hold as much worth as as anything yeah Rebecca's our next um book that we're all reading together which I think is gonna be so interesting reading after Twilight yeah <laughs> I'm excited because like of course Rebecca considered you know a, a literary classic and and Twilight probably not so much a literary classic but I just wonder whether it'll be interesting to see how you feel the, it, it's such a weird term but you know the quality of the writing which seems to be the thing that people are talking about when they separate books from literary and sort of not literary um I wonder how it will compare because again a lot of people who were saying that you shouldn't read Twilight were people who hadn't actually read it and don't know about the quality of the writing don't know about whether how it reads a, a, as a book and and just had a problem with this idea about what might be actually inside the book so we, we're gonna have to get you back aren't we to find out how <laughs> how du Maurier compares to Maya but um I mean th- there's this bizarre thing I mean I just wonder whether part of this is to do with how we categorize writing this idea that we have we have to put genres in different shelves or we have to sort of this whole idea, the whole phrase literary fiction still confuses me. I don't know how you decide what is and what isn't literary fiction. Um, I'm t- talking as sort of somebody from Waterstones, which of course has to put books in a particular area or shelf. Um, it can be problematic because sometimes when I go down onto the shop floor just to find a book for something, I can't find it because somebody's decided that it's romantic fiction when it's what I would consider to be just a contemporary novel. How do you feel about categorization and genre and, you know, this idea of putting books into particular boxes? Um, so I worked um, when I first moved to Oxford at Blackwell's um, and found as a bookseller it helpful. And um, I suppose also as a um, as a browser, you know, when you go into a bookshop and you think um, I like this writer and I want a writer similar to this, you can go to sections. Um, but I think it's come with this sort of, um, as we've been talking about, kind of inane snobbism, um, you know, in that you'll find very different people browsing the science fiction section than you will find browsing the literary section or even, you know, the YA section or the crime section. Um, and it feels, um, I've, I think it, I think we would write much better books if we could destroy some of these boundaries. Um, and I think this is happening and um, I wonder if, you know, children's writing is perhaps leading the way in this a little bit, um, that we're beginning to remove um, some of these, um, yeah, some of these snobby ideas. But it is interesting that, that we think literary books are written well, but don't necessarily have a very good plot and, um, you know, kind of um, other books are written badly, but very well plotted. And it feels to me that they should all be both of those things. Yeah, yeah. Is, is it too much to ask? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I absolutely agree with with all that. And, you know, I think 
that that's hitting the nail on the head, that it's useful for readers, it's useful for booksellers, but it's definitely not useful for authors to be thinking, mm. you know, that mark, that's marketing, you know, that's, and, and it's hard not to think about those things when you, you literally make your living from writing, but it's so important to keep that at a step removed and just think about the story you want to tell and not be trying to reach to write in a way that comes unnaturally or, um, you know, I'm really feeling excited, for example, about Daisy's book that's coming out in August, Sisters, because that is horror. You know, when people ask me what it is, it is horror, but it's it's literary fiction because it's so extraordinarily written. It's It has a sort of timeless quality. And I think that a lot of my favourite books ha- are a combination of those things. You know, going back to Rebecca, it's a thriller. Um, but it's also an incredible character study and has this amazing sense of place. So definitely the more my favourite books all seem to knock down those walls. That's a really interesting point, yeah, that the sort of the, those ones that seem to meld genre or to sort of escape categorization are the, often the ones that can stimulate the reader the most. Um, yes, you. I mean, we have very exciting books coming from you both, and, and you are both sort of perfect examples of what I was talking about earlier, sort of young female writers who are daring to sort of push things into areas where it hasn't gone before, real, real creativity um, to keep for even voracious readers like myself, you know, constantly surprised and interested. So I can't thank you both enough, not only for your books, but also for your conversation today. Um, you, have you finished your Twilight reading group now and, and you now moving on to Rebecca? Is that your next, your next read? I'm still on New Moon. Um, so I've okay. got a way to go, but I'm going to, I think I'm going to read because I read a lot quicker, obviously, than an audio book can go. Um, and I've, this copy of Rebecca, my dad actually found in an abandoned house. So it's almost definitely so I need need to read it fast before it kills me (laughs) oh my god that sounds absolutely terrifying (laughs) that's a good podcast um (laughs) yeah okay let's assuming that you survive the reading experience Kieran can we please have you both back to discuss Rebecca I would love that yeah that would be great thank you fantastic well listen I'll let you both get back to the sun uh, and to enjoy the weather whilst we can it's been brilliant to speak to you both um, and obviously we wish you the best of luck with your forthcoming publications thank you so Thanks, much Will. thank you bye